Hello and welcome to the Triage Method podcast with me, Gary McGowan, and my co-host, Mr. Patrick Farrell. Paddy, how are you this week? As per usual, Gary, I am absolutely phenomenal. It's been a beautiful, absolutely transcendently beautiful, I would say, sunny week this week, you know, had some barbecues, had some nice walks in the sun. Like what more could a man ask for, you know? Calves. Well, I was trying to get to walk in, you know, stimulate yeah, the calves. Sure. Doesn't happen. Doesn't work. Listen in silence now, are you, Gary? Anyway. Um, Did you finish? I was finished. <laughs> um, the podcast topic today, what are we talking about, Gary? Because we're starting a new series. We kind of finished the the obesity series, we'll say. Um, and then we're moving on to... Uh, Gary, are you genuinely going to start the podcast like this and start messing with your microphone? Anyway, it nearly, it nearly fell on my face. Continue. <laughs> we are starting a new series today and we are, we'll call it a fat loss series, right? It is a bit more than that because obviously we want to uh, answer a few questions that people have around not just fat loss, but around the diet in general. And we're going to take it from the perspective of fat loss purely because look, we're coming into the summer. A lot of people are engaging in fat loss diets. So it's, you know, easy to answer those questions now and um, before, you know, you get stuck into the actual meat and potatoes of your fat loss diet. And um, but also I think it fits nicely, dovetails nicely, if you will, with the obesity series that we just did, because excuse me, obviously we covered a few of the, we'll call it treatments for obesity uh, in the last few podcasts. And fat loss is generally one of the treatment methods for obesity, in case you're unaware. Um, so it kind of dovetails nicely with that, right? But we're going to open the series by talking more broadly about calories because there are some, let's call them fundamental misunderstandings about what calories are, like metabolism in general, and a few different things. Now, this obviously won't be a complete episode or a complete like treaty on calories. And like there's entire books written on that, you know, actual scientific papers. And we also plan on doing a number of podcasts on this topic, not just oh, here's one that covers everything. Like there's a few things that we want to cover in uh, future podcasts um, that are related to this. So this is kind of an intro intro to calories, if you will. Does that sound about right for you, Gary? Absolutely. Yes, sir. So what are calories, Gary? Like what, what's a calorie? Because it's like uh, in anywhere else, like you wouldn't use the term calorie in your daily life, you know? And also it is quite confusing because like there's differences between like kilo calories and then calories, you know? And like, I don't think we need to cover that, but it's just the general public can be quite confused about what calories actually are. Yeah. And I mean, you learn this in, in junior cert or leaving cert physics, you get the standard definition of uh, a calorie is the amount of energy required to heat one liter of water uh, by one degree Celsius, you know, so, but that doesn't help you at all. It's like, what does that have to do with nutrition? Okay. And I think one thing that maybe isn't always explained that I think is worth explaining is the fact that Calorie values are given as an estimation for the amount of energy that's going to be generated within the body from the food you consume. So what we're actually, what where that energy is coming from is coming from the macronutrients. Okay. So you're getting, you're getting your protein, uh, you're getting your carbohydrates and you're getting your fat. If we consider those as being the three energy contributing macronutrients. And then what we're doing from there is getting um are using calories 
as an estimate of the amount of energy that's going to be generated from that respective quantity of those macronutrients. It gets a bit more complicated because um, the, it, the amount of energy you can extract uh, from that or use from that is dependent on the human digestive system. So for example, um, humans can't digest certain types of fiber. And as a result, you're not going to be getting the full energy content from those fibers. Uh, however, your gut bacteria can actually generate some uh, short chain fatty acids from those fibers. And then you get a little bit of the energy from those short chain fatty acids. So there's there's a couple of different uh, or many, many different variables that can affect the amount of calories that are coming from a given food. And that would then vary depending on, for example, uh, someone's illness. For example, if someone has uh, celiac disease, Crohn's disease, different types of gastrointestinal diseases, they might be uh, or might have malabsorption that could again affect the end outcome in terms of the calories or the energy uh, extracted and used from those respective foods. So the starting point to understand is that calories is an energy estimate based on the macronutrients of the food, but it's not necessarily telling you uh, what has come into your body or what has been used because that does vary to some degree. But overall, you can summarize calories as just a rough quantification of the amount of energy within food. Yeah, hundred percent. And this is a, this is something that like fundamentally like in the coach's corner like we teach people about the like digestion we teach them about digestive system right there's currently they're being updated but there's a few articles on these kind of topics and we teach them about digestion and it can it can seem like an intuitive enough intuitive enough place to start digestion like that's where you you know get the food into your body and if we're talking about food calories etc like it makes sense to start there but when you learn that stuff, like if you're a personal trainer listening to this or just, you know, the, the lay person, the normal person listening to this, you can kind of overlook that. You can be like, oh, yeah, digestion just works. You know, it's like this is what it does. You know, here's the stomach. Here's the, the pancreas. Here's the liver, blah, blah, blah. You know, you're like that. That just works. Here's your intestines. You know, don't even think about that. But it is actually like fundamentally important to realize that it's not what you eat. It's what you assimilate. You know, it's not like, cause we think like you put food in your body, you're like, oh, that's in my body. Right. But it's actually not in your body. Like your digestive system, your di digestive tract is basically just a pipe through your body. Like it's actually outside of your body. Right. If you think about it, like you wouldn't say, I don't know, get uh, literally a pipe, you know, like you wouldn't put your hand inside the pipe there. Right. And be like, oh, my hand is now in the material of the pipe. You know, you'd be like, oh, my hand is in the pipe, but you can put it all the way through, right? Now, I don't recommend you trying to put your hand all the way through your own digestive tract. That wouldn't be great. But effectively, like you could, if you had some sort of, I don't know, wire or something that you could just go, okay, I can put it all the way through my digestive tract. It uh, doesn't get digested. It, it'll come, it would come out the other end, right? And at no point would that have actually been inside of you in terms of like inside your actual body. Right. So that's the first thing we have to talk about calories in terms of like what actually gets inside the body. And an easier way to think about this is not just what gets into, like, call it the bloodstream. Right. It's what actually gets into the cells. Right. Where it, that's kind of where we want the energy. Right. And um, but even further back to that, touching on a point that you said, when we're looking at calories, we have to remember that these are an estimate. These are derived from figures that were you know, created in a bomb calorimeter. Right. And this is basically like you know, where they burn food and then they measure exactly what Gary gave the definition of there. It's like, oh, here is 100 grams of 
butter, we'll say, right? They literally burn that and then they see how much heat is generated from that and then how much heat would literally raise that one liter of water. How many degrees does it raise based on that heat? You're like, oh, it has this many calories in it, right? So that's that's what they're doing. They're using a bomb calorimeter. However, like there's actually a huge amount of divergence between different things that you burn and then also how that actually reacts in the body right and we'll give a few examples as we get through these lessons or as we get through these uh, podcasts and it'll make it more clear but just to give you a really fundamental one is like we use a value of nine calories per gram for fats right we're like oh yeah every single gram of fat that has nine calories right so we're going again going using this concept of calories right but if we actually look at different grams or different types of fatty acids because fatty acids are not like a homogenous like oh this is exactly they all look the exact same you know that's not the case right there are differences in them right you could have a very short chain fatty acid and you could have a very long chain fatty acid and then also the types of bonds in those fatty acids could be different and that can yield like tremendous differences in terms of how much energy is then burned when you burn that, right? It's like burning a short stick versus a long stick, you know? Like you could say you burn some sticks, you know? But it's like, that doesn't tell you the whole thing, right? Like obviously a long stick is going to give you more energy because it's a longer stick, you know? Um, So there's actually a value of, we'll say seven to 11 grams or seven to 11 calories per gram of fat, right? But we just use an average of nine because that's right in between those two. But you could eat a diet that, you know, predominantly is the smaller amount of calories. You know, you're eating these more, we'll call them like saturated fat or shorter chain fatty acids. Like they would give you less calories per gram versus these longer chain fatty acids, right? And so the actual fundamental calorie count that you're using is actually oftentimes not completely accurate and that's before it even gets in your body when it gets in your body then and like you're actually assimilating it like you can get a wildly different number again because let's use protein for this example you know you use protein you have to digest protein and it takes more energy for you to digest that protein you know and again we use a value of about four calories per gram of protein and the reason we use that even though i think uh, i haven't looked at this in a while but i think if you actually burn protein in a bomb calorimeter you'd get like 5.4 calories per gram of protein right but they realize that oh you actually effectively negate some of those calories when you actually put it in a human body because it takes a little bit of energy to you know digest that protein break it down into its constituent amino acids blah 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 right um and this is something we'll come back to when we talk about like the thermic effect of feeding uh, later on but your body to break down and assimilate those nutrients might have to spend more energy versus something else. Right. And this is without even being in a diseased state, right? Like you don't have Crohn's, you don't have celiac, you don't have anything that, you know, uh, affects the, the brush border of your intestines. You know, it's like, no, that's everything is perfectly normal, normal human here. Even in that case, you have to spend some energy to break down the food you eat and then the calorie value versus the like the calorie value value that you extract versus what a bomb calorimeter would give you are going to be different right and this might seem like somewhat of a like pedantic argument or pedantic like oh who cares about this stuff like ultimately it's still calories like this does actually explain quite a lot of the divergences that people see when they're talking about the diet like someone will be like oh i'm eating 2000 calories um, and I can't lose weight. And this other person is eating 2000 calories and all the other things are the exact same. Like 
why aren't why am I getting the results that they're getting? And then you'll find, oh, well, this individual is eating more protein. So they actually have a difference in terms of the calories that they're eating, or they're eating a higher proportion of carbohydrates versus fats. And it's like, there is actually some slight differences there. And like, it's more nuanced than initially observed, right? Which obviously makes it incredibly hard because as soon as you start introducing a lot of nuance, like things become complex, you know? Um, so yeah, like uh, as a fundamental like note, you need to go, okay, they're a unit of energy. Calories are just a unit of energy. You could use joules if you wanted, you know, like, like you could, right? Um, but what we really care about is ATP in the body, right? That's actually what we use as energy. That, well, that's not what we actually use as energy, but that's what we use to transport energy around in the body. So we want to effectively generate that ATP. You can go through the Krebs cycle, all the mitochondrial stuff and everything, but ultimately at the back end of that, like we're getting ATP. That's what we want. That's what we're burning calories for they're all going to be different in the body and how it reacts. Again, going back to that fatty acid example, like if you're looking at the amount of carbons that you can burn or put through the like fatty acid oxidation and stuff, um, it's different if it's a short chain fatty acid versus a long chain fatty acid. It's different if it's a saturated fat versus a polyunsaturated fat. Like there are differences in the number of carbons you can burn and thus the amount of like acetyl-CoA you can generate, the amount of ATP you can generate. And it ultimately just gets incredibly messy. So uh, a best approximation is just to use calories. You know, it's like, this isn't great. Like it's not, it's not a great measurement, but if we try to use anything else, it just gets incredibly messy and there's no clear cut way around it. Yeah. And, and this kind of then brings up the, the question that often comes next is, which is, is a calorie a calorie, you know, <laughs> which is clearly a, a ridiculous question because it like logically that doesn't actually make sense because if you state something <laughs> by its name, then it has to be that thing. So a calorie is a calorie, but what is meant by this question is are all calories the same fundamentally? So for example, is 200 calories of chicken, the same as 200 gram calories of broccoli versus 200 calories of pop tarts, let's say. And based on everything we've said, you should have some understanding of the fact that no, not all um, calories in terms of like, as they're written on the box of your food product, they're not all going to lead to the exact same response within the body clearly. Okay. So protein tends to have a higher thermic effect of feeding. If you've got a food product that is including calories from fiber, then that's not going to be um, accurate in terms of the amount of energy you're getting. Uh, whereas if you have a product that's just simple sugars, they're very likely to all be um, absorbed and used for energy. So there's absolutely differences in terms of um, the amount of energy that's going to be taken from foods that may be labeled the same in terms of calories, but on the average across the whole diet, we don't, we can't, like these nuances tend to wash themselves out. And that's the, that's the, the thing here is that we want to present you with some of the kind of the messy variables while understanding that when you actually just look at the big picture, it doesn't matter too much. Like for example, the fatty acids, the Patty discussed, like you're not going to start you know, looking at your diet and, and tracking steric acid and palmitic acid and like, it's just absurd. Okay. You can't do that. Um, and ultimately these things are going to um, even out over time. And that's why when it comes to the practical side of things, uh, which we will get to, we very often end up, you know, having people track for a period of time, see where weight or uh, where their weight goes, and then we modify calories accordingly. Okay. So 
yes, there are these nuances present, but that doesn't mean you need to add a load of complexity to your tracking um, methods. Okay. So with that said, with this idea of, of calories and energy, why is this relevant to body weight? Yeah, a hundred percent. Like this is, this is the thing, right? So like, again, you can understand, you can read in a book, you can go, Oh, this is what calories are. This is what they state, blah, blah, blah. You know, and that's, that's all fine and well. Like if you're interested in this stuff, like myself or Gary, or, you know, a lot of people obviously listening to this podcast are interested in this stuff. Like you might go to a textbook, like you might go to like, I don't know, an advanced nutrition textbook and they might have more of a discussion on calories, you know, in terms of the, the science behind it. But ultimately, for most people, what you really want to dig in deeper to is like, why does this actually fucking matter? You know, like that's the stuff that actually uh, impacts on your choices. That's the stuff that actually impacts on like how you view this stuff, how you use this stuff. And ultimately, like if information has absolutely no utility, like, is it really all that beneficial to spend a lot of time thinking about it? Probably fucking not, you know? So how does this inform our decisions? How does this inform our quest for fat loss because again this is the fat loss series right so calories again thinking about energy right if we go back maybe some used it physics maybe some years didn't um but if you go back and think of it like energy is something that is in the universe you know you've, you've heard of like oh energy you probably use it in terms of like oh this uses like electrical energy or this is like heat energy like you might be thinking back to like oh i remember those kind of vague terms like i heard someone say dissipated energy like you remember some vague stuff around energy in general from like whatever scientific education that you got right and then obviously like we use the same terms in like colloquial language as well like you know it's like stuff are energetic you know we, we use the same terms energy right however like energy in the universe the broader sense of the universe that we live in you know they follow certain rules right now it's fantastic that we know these rules or at least uh we have an approximation of these rules based on our universal laws and um, that's not going to be necessarily the same in all universes just take that into account so like you could maybe you know transport yourself to a different universe and calories are completely different over there but in our universe you know calories follow the laws of thermodynamics right because these laws of thermodynamics effectively govern um the transfer of heat and work right like they that's i'm going to put it as broadly as that right it's it, it's it governs the, the energy basically right now again thermodynamics again thermodynamic heat work basically dynamic movement um so that's that's that they're the laws so if you go back and read those laws you know there's a couple of them and um, you can go oh uh yeah i've read those laws and uh, how does that actually apply to my diet you know because like people always say that they're like oh like calories follow the laws of thermodynamics right and that's fantastic it's fantastic that you have that understanding that again it's energy it follows the same kind of principles that other energy systems use blah 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 but like what does that actually fucking mean right because you have to actually understand what that means to be able to use that information right and as it applies to our our discussion here um the the law of thermodynamics that we're most concerned with is the second law of thermodynamics right and i just have a little statement of it here just so we can you know be on the same page with it like the second law of thermo if the second law of thermodynamics states that in any closed system now that's important um the amount of entropy which entropy is we could put it down as a measure of disorder um cannot decrease right so i'll say that again the second law of thermodynamics states that in any closed system the amount of entropy cannot decrease right 
So that's that's the fundamental law that the diet is following, right? And again, it's very hard to correlate those two things. It's very hard to put what I just said in the context of like, what the fuck does that actually have to do with how many calories I eat or should I eat protein or should I eat vegetables or, you know, it's very dissociated, right? So we want to kind of bring those two things back. But what I want to just do, first of all, is to first of all, say that the, the reason that this causes so much trouble is because humans aren't actually a closed system, right? Like we're like, well, I said, not even humans. I shouldn't even use that term. Like life is not a closed system, right? We are an open system. Okay. And we don't need to get into the complexities of what that actually means, but just know that the, first of all, the law that I'm saying we follow doesn't actually necessarily apply to us. Right. However, because we interact with the universe in which it does apply to, like the universe itself is a closed system, like we have to follow those laws. Right. But it's, it's, I don't want to get too complex with this because it actually just gets into like this metaphysics and stuff, which we just don't need to get. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, basically, like living systems are not in equilibrium. Right. So we're constantly moving. Right. Uh, we are. Uh, a dissipative system, right? So we maintain this higher complexity, right? Which would you think that would go against the, the law of thermodynamics that we just stated, right? Because in a closed system, like you're not going to decrease um, entropy, you know? So if entropy is a measure of, we'll call it disorder, like you're not going to decrease it out of the blue, right? So like, how do we complex organisms come about in a system that is set, that literally states the law the law that it follows states that you can't decrease the entropy right like that's it just doesn't happen right um, and this is something that you conceptually can really put into context when you really start to tie together a few of the different laws that our universe governs and the best one to use in this system is time which you might not necessarily think of uh, when you think of like energy but time is actually a we'll call it a measure of entropy, right? And bear with me with this. So time is actually, it's often referred to as the arrow of time, right? Or the flow of time is basically the flow of entropy, right? So we want to, in the universal terms, like the universe wants to increase entropy. So it wants to increase disorder, right? And if you read into physics, you can see that this theorized anyway, to eventually lead to the eventual heat death of the universe, right? Where you basically stop all movement in the universe everything goes decreases there's less and less order which means that there's actually complete order because there's no movement everything is completely still there's no heat there's no move like heat moving around like everything is completely homogeneous right and um, so in creating the most amount of disorder this entropy concept you actually create the most amount of order right? Which is, again, it's a little bit hard to kind of wrap your head around, right? But to bring back the concept of time into this argument or this discussion, like time is a, the flow of time is a measure of disorder because you don't know, like, if you watch a movie and they try to represent like, oh, time, like traveling backwards in time, they'll actually use concepts like entropy to display that. And what I mean is like, if you look at disorder, like you're, uh, an increase in entropy would be you have a, a vase sitting on the table and that vase falls over and cracks into a million pieces, right? Now there's more disorder in the universe because that vase has gone from a highly ordered state, this vase, and now it's gone into this highly disordered state, this cracked into a million pieces vase, right? And if you were to look at a, a movie trying to represent 
you know, I'm going to go back in time. What they would do is they would have this highly disordered vase on the ground, all these little pieces cracked into a million pieces. It would all of a sudden go up and then land on the table and magically come back together in this vase, right? So conceptually, you understand that time is somehow related to entropy, right? Because you, you don't spontaneously see that. You don't spontaneously see things come out, come about like highly ordered things come about from disorder, you know, like that. You don't see that, right? So this the stuff that we're following is a a, a universal thing like it's a it is the, the laws that govern our universe and I, we're getting a little bit off topic here I, I knew this would happen when i talked about thermodynamics <laughs> i'm going to tie it back in terms of like what i mean about life itself right because human life is not uh in a clo- closed system right like we're not like we are in a closed system we are not a closed system like we are o- an open system because we have done and life in general has done is it is it has created a lot of order out of disorder like we've got more complex we've got more highly ordered and the reason we've done this is like like depending on who you listen to like you could read a lot of like organic chemistry i suppose and they would call it a dynamic kinetically stable uh replicative system right that's what we basically are and the way it goes about is like if you think about it like how can you if the universal goal the universe's goal is to create more entropy it's to get more chaos basically because entropy is you know, we could call it chaos as well right um the the goal of that is to you know create more chaos but what's the easiest way that you can create more chaos or what's the fastest way that you can get things to be more disordered well the fastest way is to put more order on them right and you see this uh, in terms of like if you want to have something go from a highly disordered state um, or sorry, from a highly ordered state to a highly disordered state, the fastest way is often through more order, right? For example, um, if you have uh, a sink full of water, right? That's in a higher order state, right? Um, it's because it, it, you know, it's, it's in a sink above things. So it's, you know, it's not at its lowest equilibrium. It's not at its lowest energy potential. It's not at like, you know, the water level. The way you would get to that water, like to, to uh, more lower energy state you would you know pull the plug out of the sink right and what this would do is this would create a vortex right so you'd create more order this vortex is a highly ordered thing to get more water down out the sinkhole faster right and that's effectively what humans have done or i keep saying humans but i mean life that's effectively what life has done we have created systems that allow for more order we've created these replicative systems like orna was kind of the, the the mac daddy of them all you know created these like replicative replicative proteins and that could then you know basically photocopy themselves which then allowed us to you know create more and more order and now we use dna and stuff because you know it's basically rna 2.0 um and we're able to create more and more order and like humans are like the 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 classic classic example of this because what do we like to do oh we like to create more order you know and the reason we like to do this goes back to this fundamental like law of entropy where it's like the universe is telling you like oh yeah like we want to create more order purely so we can create more disorder down the line you know and this is something that humans have battled with in terms of like philosophy for years where it's like you hear all these battles about like chaos and order like you literally look at like jordan peterson like it's like um he's literally all he talks about is chaos and order and it's like this goes back to the fundamental like reality of the universe it's like like you wonder why humans have been grappling with this for eons you know it's like this is we're trying to grapple with our own reality where it's like we are in a system that clearly wants to trend towards disorder and we're battling between us wanting to create more order and then the universe wanting to create more disorder and us seeing these trends 
over time, you know? But anyway, look, bringing it all the way back to uh, metabolism, because we got a little bit sidetracked there. Um, we're not thermodynamically, or no, we're not uh, kinetically stable systems. We're thermodynamically stable systems, right? And that's, there is a key difference in that because we're basically using that, those laws of thermodynamics to make reactions occur in our bodies so that we can create more order you know like we basically um use like spontaneous processes like you'll have like a, a one system in your body will bring things up to a higher order and then we use that order like the natural trend of the universe to go from that higher order thing down to this lower order thing and then we use that little difference in the energy to then use that energy for a different process and to go forward right so that's how the body effectively works and it's just trying to use this thermodynamic system that we're this universe that we're placed in um, and again, like it does get a little bit metaphysical, metaphysical overall, but it is the fundamentals of how we work, right? So to bring it all back, we basically end up with this system that is highly complex, highly adaptive, highly, you know, non-intuitive effectively. Um, and it all comes back to using energy. We need to take energy in to maintain the stable kinetically or the thermodynamically stable system that we have created in terms of like us our physical being right so we need to take energy in to just maintain that right because it, like if we didn't take any energy in everything would fall apart within our body right because we're not like the universe does not want this highly ordered organism right it wants the exact opposite of that it wants a highly disordered system right and um, so your body you need to take energy in to Put things up to a higher order so that naturally they can fall down to a, a lower order and then you can take more energy in and continue that process and then you can replicate yourself like that's that's literally the goal of rna that's literally the goal of dna and that's literally the goal of humans effectively it's like you know eat some food live long enough so that you can replicate and then die <laughs> you know like it's nothing fucking sexy or anything but it's like that's that's what our genes are telling us that's what our like interaction with the universal laws are telling us right and um, so we end up with this equation which is relatively simplified but i think it's most important to what we're discussing here and it basically means that like you need to take calories in to survive right to just maintain yourself right and one of those things that you need to maintain is like the stability of the the overall system in terms of what it looks like, in terms of how much it weighs, in terms of all that kind of stuff, right? So we end up with this really simplified equation of calories in and calories out, right? It's often called the SECO model, right? So calories in, calories out, right? And if you take in more calories than you expend, right? And we'll get to the calorie expenditure in a second when we talk a little bit more about metabolism, right? If you take in more calories than you expend, right? You are going to gain weight, right? Because your body wants to store this energy. It's like, oh, well, I don't know when in future I'm going to need this energy. Not even looking at like, you know, our concept of like life in terms of like, you know, oh, like you want to be able to eat and you want to be able to like, you know, survive famines, etc. Like just looking at it in terms of like, if we are an inanimate object, we're just something that, you know, it doesn't have life, but it needs to maintain energy to keep itself going, right? You need to keep going in. If you put in more energy and it has the ability to store that energy, it's going to store that energy. Now we have that ability to store energy in terms of fat, right? If it, that equation is off in a different direction, if you're taking in less calories, then you are, and you're putting in, putting out more calories. So in your day-to-day -day activities, you're burning more energy. You end up with a system where you are eating into those stores, right? So 
you would lose weight in that case, right? And again, this is obviously relevant to our weight loss series here, right? And then obviously if your calories in and calories out are completely equal, nothing is going to change. You just maintain the system. You're in this kind of homeostatic system. Now, again, we are thermodynamically stable, but that doesn't mean that like everything stays the exact same. Like your body composition could change, you know? It's like, yeah, okay, the energy has stayed the same, but you now have increased your muscle mass or you've lost some fat. And like, you often see this term thrown around of like body recomposition as well, you know? And that's why that kind of stuff can happen because we are maintaining this equilibrium, this thermodynamic equilibrium, but the actual like kinetics, the actual like material can actually change as well. You know, does that make sense, Gary? Or was I just fucking rambling there? Cause I probably was rambling. No, it's, it's good crack. Good crack. Um, yeah, no, it absolutely. It does make sense. And I think that um, one thing to, to mention, I guess, as we, as we move on to the next step in the discussion as it relates to energy expenditure is just to get a, a brief appreciation for the fact that there's so much going on in your body all the time that you just have no idea of. And thank God for that. Because if you had sense sensation of every single bodily process, that would be totally uninterpretable I, I imagine it would feel like what static looks like and sounds like on a television like that's what you would feel like all the time um because like for example if we think of the human body temperature as being around 37 degrees celsius right we've given our definition of calories um related to you know raising the temperature by one degree celsius and room temperature let's say is 12 degrees celsius like your body temperature doesn't drop to 12 degrees celsius never okay it's it that's not gonna happen you're gonna die if that happens at least centrally and that just is a brief kind of nugget that gives you some knowledge about how much energy generating processes are going on all of the time because that's being that heat is being generated within you okay like yes you're you can absolutely get heat from the environment but the vast majority of that is coming from cellular processes that are ongoing all the time okay and if you look at that difference between room temperature and body temperature you can imagine there's a lot of stuff going on and every single neuron in my brain and in my arms and in my feet and everywhere throughout my body all those um processes every single neural signal that all requires energy okay they even like creating and releasing enzymes from different organs whether it be your pancreas or bile from in your liver etc all of this again requires energy. It doesn't just happen like swallowing, even, you know, your, your esophagus and your stomach and your um, small intestine, large intestine, etc. They're all muscles that require energy, much like when you go to the gym, you know, your blood vessels, they've got muscle in their walls again, requires energy, your heart's constantly beating, and so on, and so on, and so on. So the, the important thing to understand here, and th this is obviously all of what goes into basal metabolic rate, which we'll move on to discussing, um, all of this is going on all of the time, okay? And this is why we need that constant input of energy to be able to keep these things going, because otherwise, well, you die, you know, that's fundamentally what happens. But I, I think that is something that's really important to understand, because although it's, it's fairly simple, it is something I find myself discussing with clients quite often because they might think that, for example, if they don't exercise, well, they don't need to eat or, you know, there's that your, your energy expenditure is only coming from exercise or from activity. Whereas this stuff is ongoing 
all of the time, you know? Um, so yeah, just a, an intro point to the, to the BMR, which I imagine we move on to now. Yeah, and like, this is actually really important as well, because look, if we're talking about thermodynamics, it's probably easiest to think of this in terms of heat, right? And if you've ever, I don't know, gone on a diet, right? And then you notice like, oh, I'm a little bit colder, right? And like, you notice that your, your body temperature is just a little bit lower. And then maybe you've done a week at maintenance calories, or even like, you know, a couple of days of a refeed or something. And all of a sudden you're like, wow, I'm actually so much warmer in terms of like my body temperature is so much warmer, right? Or again, like maybe you just dieted and then a few weeks later, you're in a surplus. You notice that there's a difference in your body temperature. And this isn't just related to like the insulating capacity of fat, right? Now, obviously that plays a role in it, but also just your actual like output of energy, your output of heat, the heat lost to the, you know, the universe, which is effectively what it wants to do. Like it wants you to generate more heat because, they want to get to the eventual heat death of the universe. Like that's what the universe wants. Um, so like y- you intuitively notice this, right? And you also notice it. Like if you ever, ha- like I know a lot of people listening to this are obviously you know, into their fitness, into their health, into their exercise, et cetera. So it might be a little bit less intuitive to you because you know a lot of your friends are probably into that as well. But if you ever like touch someone that has exercised you know like you notice that oh wow there's a lot more heat generation for them right and that's just in the actual act of exercise right you can clearly see that more heat is being lost to the 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 universe you know you're cooling yourself but like why are you cooling yourself down like why do you have to cool yourself down while you exercise it's because all of these different things these enzymatic processes this flow of blood blah 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 all of that stuff requires energy and like your car you know it overheats when you put in a lot of energy you rev the engine loads like your body does the exact same, right? Because there is an inefficiency built into the system in terms of you want to release some heat. Again, that's what the universe wants you to do, right? Um, going back to that person that exercises, like even if you touch someone that exercises and they haven't exercised in the last day or two, like they're still generally warmer than someone that doesn't exercise, someone that's completely sedentary, right? And again, it's because in this case, there's, there's more metabolic processes going on with that individual. They have more lean mass, you know, it's like, there's, there are key differences. And even if they weigh the exact same, two individuals weigh the exact same, like that doesn't mean that their overall output of energy, like heat in this case is the exact same, which is really hard to get your head around when you're just looking at, you know, comparing like, oh, well, my friend over here weighs 70 kilos and they're able to diet on 3000 calories where I'm 70 kilos and I have to diet on 1500 calories. It's like, yeah, okay. Like if you only, you know, look at weight, that's one metric, but that's not everything. You know, it's like, you're not actually able to measure all the sum of all of these, you know, metabolic processes that are going on. And there's clearly differences between you and them because they're absolutely jacked out of their mind. Like they have so much, like very little body fat, like big muscles, you know, whereas you are, you have no muscles and lots of body fat, you know, it's like, there's clearly key differences in terms of the the actual tissue between you two. And like fat is less metabolically active than muscle tissue. Right. And we'll talk about this again in, in, in future. Um, but like, that's just a fundamental thing. And the heat generation stuff is really important. To, it's really visual, I suppose, even though like obviously you feel it, it's uh, it's very visual in terms of getting your head around this, where you're like, oh, people have different body temperatures and that has a relation to their metabolism, which is what we're talking about. Cause metabolism is basically just uh, a measure of all the metabolic processes that go on in the body. Right. And um, so all of that stuff, it, it, it is, 
it is intuitive once you start realizing it, but it's also kind of non-intuitive initially because you're like, well, wait, wait a second. These two people are seemingly the same person. They weigh the exact same. How are they losing weight on different calories? When in reality, if you were to sum up those metabolic processes, they are actually different, right? And this does actually end up in a load of arguments that you see online or in discussions around the diet. It's like, it actually explains so much of it because metabolism isn't, just defined by your weight like there's so much more that goes into that which obviously brings us to uh we'll call it i obviously gave a definition of metabolism there it's like the sum of all your metabolic processes going on but there's often terms thrown around gary and i'll get you to speak a little bit on this in terms of like resting metabolic rate and basal metabolic rate because if we're talking about someone that wants to use this information they're like okay cool they've been talking about calories they've been talking about fucking this patrick fella went off on a fucking rant about the universe and thermodynamics and stuff um but like how does that apply to my diet you know i understand calories they're energy great right so the laws that govern energy they should govern this, but how does that apply to the human system? Right. Patrick said it was a little bit different. You know, it's like, well, life itself is a little bit different than what the universe wants, but how does it like, what's going on here, Gary? Like talk, talk me through like resting metabolic rate, talk me through basal metabolic rate. Cause they're, they're pretty similar. Like, like you can almost use them interchangeably, even though there is some key differences. And then ultimately we can kind of go on to the different components of metabolism, the different levers that we can pull in a more, you know, broader sense um, and like what actually influences metabolism. But anyway, talk to me about metabolism, baby. Yeah. So when we start to talk about metabolism, the overall, like the calorie output, let's say is generally referred to as your total daily energy expenditure, or you'll see people say TDEE. Okay. But at the base of that is your basal metabolic rate or resting metabolic rate. Okay. They're similar um i think i think the, is it uh, basal metabolic rate assumes that you're just total bed rest mm. um is that right yeah basal yeah as far as i'm right like I, I look i don't even care about the two of the terms i'm like look, yeah it's they're basically interchangeable for me there are actual differences in terms of it. like i believe resting metabolic rate is like you're just resting you know whereas basal metabolic rate i think they always measure it in terms of like you first thing wake up in the morning they're like they're on their way more strict criteria for that mm-hmm. um but ultimately like it's kind of irrelevant. You know, if you're a scientist looking in this stuff, I'm like, yeah, look, this is actually really relevant. But if you're an individual looking to manage your nutrition, it's just, I use them interchangeably. It doesn't fucking matter. Yeah, I use them interchangeably as well anyway. But anyway, you'll, you'll hear people say BMR, basal, basal metabolic rate. Fundamentally, what that is, is basically just the energy processes or the, the amount of energy required to sustain very basic bodily processes. So like things I was talking about earlier, the beating of your heart, you know, the maintenance of cellular uh, membrane potentials, all this sort of stuff within the body that just keeps you functioning as normal and alive. Now, with that said, it is important to mention that, like, I, I have heard from some people in the past that'll say, you know, oh, you can't eat less than your basal metabolic rate or your BMR because then you'll die. And that's a misunderstanding because, yes, it's true that this is the amount of energy required to sustain um, your basic bodily functions, but that does not necessarily equate to the amount of that, the amount of energy that you require to take in because you've got energy stores in your body. Okay. You've got glycogen stores, you've got fat stores, you've even got muscle protein that could be um, broken down and, and, and used for energy. So it's not necessarily, you know, if I don't eat this much, I'm going to die. Um, because I have seen, you know, people criticize people for putting, you know, someone on a 
thousand calorie diet or even for example the nhs low calorie diet program for diabetes people freaking out being like this is below bmr um it's not so simple that you just die okay but that is the amount of energy that's going to be required for you to be able to sustain those basic bodily processes as you can imagine that's not going to be uh, very very um, satisfactory for the active person. So if you're so if you're even a normal person who walks around each day, you you know you're eating uh, plenty of food or whatever. Um, you're you need all that energy required for digestion. Uh, you're doing your basic activities activities of daily living. Your basal metabolic rate isn't going to leave you feeling very energized if you're consuming that amount of calories, okay? Because clearly there's a lot of uh, additional calories being burned. And the question then is, is where are these additional calories being burned? You know, where are these additional energy demands? And one of the things people would go to very quickly with exercise, you know, and that's something that we refer to as exercise activity thermogenesis or EAT, okay? And um, it's kind, it kind of varies in terms of what is included within this bracket. Some people will put basic walking into this uh, bracket. We kind of refer to that as non-exercise, but it doesn't matter too much. Just giving you the idea that exercise activity thermogenesis is clearly going to vary loads between people depending on how much activity they do. Okay, And that's also going to vary depending on your baseline uh, body weight, for example. So if you're 120 kilo um, person who's go, who 120 kilo marathon runner, let's say, um, that's going to require a lot more energy than a 60 kilo marathon runner, even if you're running the same distance. So your exercise activity thermogenesis depends on exercise intensity, exercise, exercise volume, exercise uh, duration, um, and then also uh, the weight of the individual. But even further than that, it also depends on baseline fitness. Like for example, if you're have uh, if you're very efficient at the given at a given activity then you're going to be burning less calories for or during that activity than someone else. If someone else has a very low level of fitness, they might actually be less efficient um, aerobically, for example. They might have to use more anaerobic um, energy processes to perform a given activity, and hence they end up burning more calories. But the catch then is obviously they won't be able to sustain it for the same duration as the fitter person, or they won't be able to repeat that activity again. So I'm not saying that it's better to be unfit, you know, just because you burn more calories. It's not, not that simple at all. But basically, yeah, there are some of the variables that will go into exercise activity thermogenesis. Then you've got non-exercise activity thermogenesis. So you'll hear people say neat all the time, you know, and we're basically just referring to there the amount of calories that are being burned through basic daily activities. So for example, I would call like, you know, doing the laundry or cleaning my room, uh, exercise as such, but it's still all additional calories that are being burned. And this can vary by occupation. Uh, for example, if someone is a laborer on a building site, like those guys have massive energy outputs very frequently. Okay. When we have clients who are working on building sites, like their calories are way up very often over 4,000, even maintenance at 4,000 um, plus because even obviously like personal trainers listening to this, like you see the personal, yes, personal, personal trainers. trainers, like they're not even doing like not even classes, not anything like that. They're just walking around the gym, you know, and they're like, Oh, pick up a weight here, tidy this up. It's like, your fucking calorie expenditure can be like 5,000 calories for maintenance. You know, it's like, yeah, it, it does influence it that much. Absolutely. And um, other, other, other professions, then sometimes uh, nurses as well, nurses always on their feet. If you're on a busy shift, especially if you're like uh, between wards or on your, or you're on a very large ward, um, 
your energy expenditure can just rack up massively. So, you know, your own profession anyway. Um, and yeah, there, there can be lots of, of little things to contribute to your energy expenditure, even simple things. Like if you're turning a screwdriver all day or you're pressing buttons all day, all that requires energy, you know, so it, it does um, definitely contribute. And this again is one of those things that can uh, vary. For example, if you are um, on a diet and you find yourself feeling more sluggish, that's generally going to reduce your need because you're not going to be, um, you know, wanting to park as far away uh, when you're going shopping or you let your uh, whoever's with you, you push the shopping trolley instead of you and all these little things that we start to do and we're conserving energy. Um, and very often they're subconscious and sometimes they're conscious efforts to, you know, just relax a little bit more. So again, considerable variability there between people, but also within a given individual across time, depending on energy intake, other activity, etc. cetera. Um, and then you've got your thermic effective feeding, uh, which is something we mentioned already, but as you eat more and more and more food, you have to use more energy to um, digest that food, to break it down, to assimilate it, etc. Now that, of course, that doesn't mean um, that you can just eat more and, and burn more calories and lose more fat because it's never going to be making up uh, the volume of calories that you've consumed. And thermic effect the feeding is generally somewhere around 10%, I think, of uh, your total caloric intake. And that does vary again by macronutrients. So protein has a much higher thermic effect of feeding. Um, and that's one of the many reasons why people suggest higher protein diets. Um, but yeah, again, that's, that's something that's going to be more or less consistent over time. It's going to vary with your calorie intake a bit, but it's not something you can like massively ramp up, um, or that you want to massively ramp up really. So yeah, that's thermic effective feeding. And then I guess you can also consider like it's sometimes people put it under BMR, but adaptive thermogenesis, um, can be considered within, uh, BMR, and that's just basically changes in the efficiency of energy production, um, which can vary depending on uh, your the amount of calories you're consuming. Um, basically, if you're overfeeding a lot, you can actually become uh, le less, yeah, less efficient and in or basically dissipate more heat as energy. And that's something that we mentioned in the obesity podcast as it related to uh, DNP, for example, we said it was a mitochondrial uncoupling agent, which basically means that it massively wastes uh, energy through the production of heat rather than actually producing ATP. So that, again, is something that can vary uh, depending on fitness, life stage and, and lots of other variables. Yeah. And like all of these things, again, it's it's important to not just listen to the terms and go, oh, yeah, I know what eat is. It's exercise, you know activity or it's exercise associated thermogenesis it's like okay that's i understand that you know like actually think that through in terms of like a real world example in terms of an individual like when gary was explaining it he did he was like oh look what does this look like a marathon runner versus like a, someone doing resistance training like their exercise output is going to be different their caloric demands for those are going to be different right and then especially when we get to like niche like the non-exercise activity thermogenesis it's like again huge differences in terms of how the individual you know how that affects our metabolism overall because like i could move around loads move my hands while i'm talking versus someone else that's also sitting in a desk like they could be sitting there completely still and like on paper we're doing the same thing we're like oh we're both sitting for an hour but our actual movement our actual like metabolic demands for that are going to be different but even again thinking a little bit deeper with that like even if you're both sitting at the same desk like if i've just eaten my lunch 
and had a really like high protein, high fiber meal versus the other individual who basically just had sugar, like our diet induced thermogenesis, sometimes called DIT or oftentimes called thermic effective feeding, it's going to be different, right? But then also like just on a very fundamental level, when we go back to it, like, okay, those are the different components of metabolism, but like think of the two different individuals, right? Even if you measure all of those up, you're like, okay, we both have the exact same output of exercise, like the amount of calories burned there. We both did the exact same amount of NEAT. Now that would be impossible to actually fucking measure that, but let's assume you did something, right? You correlated the number of steps with your NEAT. Like that's a, a relatively good practice to do. Let's just say you both hit 10,000 steps, right? And then you both have the same amount of calories, right? That still doesn't mean that your overall metabolism is the exact same because you are not the exact same individual, right? Like you as an individual could, again, have more lean mass. This is one of the key determinants of it, which we'll get into in future, future podcasts, right? But also this other individual over there, they could have consumed something like caffeine, right? Which has different effects on the metabolism, which has, you know, again, it increases the metabolic rate of different parts of the metabolism overall and different systems in the body. So they're pumping out a bit more energy as a result of like similar hormone releases and whatever, right? Again, this other individual that is again, the exact same position, they've taken another kind of stimulant or they just have a a mutation that leads to more protein uncoupling or something, you know, like there's so much variability that goes into this. And even in a, an individual, like for example, if you are a female, right, you're a woman and you have a, a, we'll call it a regular cycle right? Like your metabolic rate at the start of your cycle versus at the end of your cycle versus the first, you know, the, the, the middle point of your cycle, they're going to be different, right? And this is again, easy enough to understand when you start looking at it in terms of like, you know, a lot of women the week before their period, they might be like, oh, I'm actually a lot hungrier, right? Like, even though you're keeping everything the exact same, you think you're the exact same person, like your metabolism has actually changed because these internal processes, these metabolic, like these energy requiring processes are doing different things at different times, right? So your energy demands change over time, over that cycle, that four-week cycle, that archetypical 28-day cycle that no one has, you know? It's like that it, your, your demands are going to change over that time period. So you have to take that into account. So it's impossible for you to compare yourself to another individual, but it's also kind of impossible to compare yourself to yourself at a previous stage, at a previous time point, because you're not doing the exact same metabolic processes. You know, another example would be you break your leg, right? Like your energy demands might actually go up as a result of that, because now you have uh, a huge metabolic process being undertaken. Like your body is repairing that broken leg. You know, it's like, it's very hard to really give you a specific number. And a lot of people get caught up on like, oh, what's the exact number I need to eat to lose weight? Or what's the exact calories I burn in a day? And like, give me the exact number. But as we said at the start of the podcast, the measurements are inexact. And then you're not even the exact same person week to week, day to day, month to month, year to year. And like, if you're trying to compare like my calories versus your calories, like it's impossible, right? So we have to take all of that stuff into account. And we have to realize that it is a best guess at the start. However, we do also get relatively quick feedback in terms of this stuff does actually impact on the metrics that we care about. And in this context, it's fat loss, right? So while we can, again, wax lyrical, poetic about all of this stuff, and we can be like, oh, these are all the different components. The stuff that you fundamentally need to know is that going back to that equation, that calories in, calories out equation, right? The calories inside of things, that's really only affected by the stuff that you put in your mouth and actually assimilate, right? Obviously 
we talked about the digestive system and stuff like that. That is important, but let's just, it's just the stuff you put in your mouth, right? The calories that you actually track. We'll say you use my fitness pal. That's the stuff. That's the, the calories inside of things, the calories outside of things. Now that is somewhat affected by the diet because you have this, you know, thermic effect of feeding, like you're going to burn some calories for that, but we can't really, we're not going to really manipulate that. Like the overall effect of that is not huge. Like you're not going to be like, Oh, I'm going to eat an only protein diet. Like all of the things that you would do to manipulate that, like they're not really viable as a strategy right now. In some cases we could argue that, yeah, we could use this. We could do this, this, and this, but like as a general rule, not a viable strategy. Right. So the other thing that we're left with is again, calories out. What goes into that? It's like your exercise associated thermogenesis because you're burning calories to do these different activities, these sports, you know, running, you know, the gym, whatever, right? And then also you're burning calories doing this non-exercise activity thermogenesis, right? Which again, you're walking around, you're moving, you're swaying in your seat, you're all that kind of stuff, right? So the actual levers that we have to pull in terms of manipulating our body composition, it basically becomes down to the stuff that you eat, because that influences the calories you take in. And then it also goes into uh, the, the calories that you expend, which is what you do formally. We'll say again, exercise. And then what you do unformally, you know, where it's like, oh, I just walk around a bit more or whatever, right? So again, it, when you're diving into this stuff, it, it sounds all like very complex, but the actual application, the applicable stuff of this is very simple. It's like, if you want to lose weight, you need to move more and eat less or some combination of the two of those. And like, that's beautiful in its simplicity, but as you can see, like a lot of things can go wrong in the overall, you know, the, the understanding of that. And again, it can make people unaware or uh, frustrated with their fat loss efforts because either they don't understand the full equation or some other things that we'll probably get onto in some other podcasts. Um, they start changing. Like there are some things that Gary talked about, like an, an adaptive uh, metabolism. Like there's some other things that they do play into this overall equation. However, like a lot of the stuff that you, that influences this, like you actually can't influence it. You as an individual can't influence it, right? Like you can't really influence your thyroid output, for example. It's like, duh, like, unless you actually take like synthetic thyroid, or again, like you can't influence your like testosterone secretion, which, you know, increases all these other metabolic processes. Like this is something that again, people kind of forget, like they see like steroid users on Instagram or whatever. And they're like, Oh, how is this individual able to like eat so much? You know, it's like, they're able to eat 3000 calories. I'm the exact same weight as them. You know, how, like how are they able to do that? And it's like, they're taking, they're taking a synthetic, synthetic, drug that increases anabolism right so anabolism is the building right of, of in this case the, the the body muscles in this case and they're taking that drug to build more muscles right and that process of building muscles requires more energy right so even if you're the same weight like if they're taking something like in a, a gram amount like they're taking a thousand fucking milligrams of testosterone per week right like those processes are way increased versus your fucking seven milligrams per natural production per day on the fucking high end you know it's like the 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 internal stuff is actually different even if you weigh the same on paper you know so there is more to it and it's very hard to compare individuals to other individuals and then even compare yourself to yourself in previous times so ultimately all we really care about with this stuff is the here and now. It's like, what, like how many calories do you actually need right now to either lose weight, gain weight, maintain weight, or like fuel yourself efficiently? Like it's the here and now. You can't, the comparison really just doesn't work with this stuff because there's too many variables that are very easy to not take account of. Does that make sense, Gary? Yes, sir. 
anyway all the other stuff that we're going to cover is in like future episodes so we'll i think we'll wrap it up there and do you have any kind of like quick summary for everyone in terms of what do they need to know about calories and metabolism in summary there are many many variables that go into determining how many calories you burn on a given day there's also many variables that go into determining how we would even quantify the energy content of the foods we consume. However, with all that said, consistency in something that is complex and might vary um, consistently over time allows you to basically overcome the, the peaks and troughs. Because, for example, if you're tracking your calories on my fitness pal and it so happens that the stated number is 10% off or 20% off, it's likely that that's going to happen in both directions. And as you track over time, those differences just begin to dwindle off. And on average, your energy expenditure isn't going to be massively varying over the long term so much that you wouldn't just be able to track and, and correct. So, yeah, ultimately, uh, understanding these complexities is useful, but you don't need to worry about it too much. And I guess that's the ultimate message of all this is that once you track your calories or find a way to modify your calories in accordance with your goal, whether that be weight gain or weight loss, you've ultimately taken care of everything. You know, obviously that's all in line with consuming a good quality diet, consuming sufficient protein, etc. cetera. Um, and you can see some of the reasons already why food quality might still be important within a calories in calories out framework, such as, the diet-induced thermogenesis from different nutrients, the um, absorption of different foods, let's say, and then also, obviously, the contribution of your foods to your energy levels and your ability to train and your desire to train. Um, and a weird example would be if you've had loads and loads of protein bars and you feel super bloated and you're farting mad, you mightn't want to train at all because it's just uncomfortable. Um, so yeah, there's, there's some weird and wonderful things that can go into determining energy expenditure too. And I think that's, that's ultimately everything for today. Obviously your diet massively impacts uh, satiety and, and fullness and desire to eat as well but that's all for future episodes 100 carry anyway i have nothing else to add so where can people find us well if you would like individualized guidance on your diet and or your training we do have coaching spaces available uh, so you can apply for your spot as you know we don't just work with anyone we work with people who are committed to specific goals and ideally we want you to be able to pinpoint what the barriers have been so far and how we can help you to overcome them. Um, obviously we decide, you know, how we're going to help you, but uh, we like people to come to us with, you know, some clear problems and even clear solutions in some cases. So do apply um, and we will consider your application, get you on a call and take you to the next step. So get in touch if you're interested in coaching. We do have an education platform called the Coaches Corner as well. If you're a coach, uh, you can subscribe to that. You can get educational lectures from us. And then you can also access the group with other trainers where you can ask us any questions or present case studies of clients that you'd like us to, to help you out with. That's no problem. Um, we do also have a lot of content on our social media um, and our email newsletter. 
so you can subscribe to the newsletter and follow us on social media at triage method or me at skinny guys patty at the real patty farrell or brian at brian ohengasa we all have our own individual content on our personal pages so it's worth following us all and it's also worth following the triage page because there's different content there that doesn't go on our own individual pages as well we have a free facebook group too the triage method community which you can join and yeah this podcast goes out every week so do look out for it every monday and if you would be so kind as to share it on your story or whatever social media you use that'd be fantastic even better if your podcast platform allows for reviews leave a review and that then helps us you know firstly know that you're enjoying the podcast and also spread the good word to other people so that's everything that we have phenomenal gary anyway i have nothing else to add so i hope everyone has a fantastic week